scripture comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And it's on page 886 of the Pew Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God. We are starting a new series today. And it won't be a very long one, it's only six weeks, but it's an important one. The series is Why Trust in the Bible? How do you know that the Bible is true? Now in some sense you're like, I'm a Christian, I know the Bible is true, I already believe the Bible is true. But it's actually a deeply controverted issue today. And I find, of course, you know, the people who are not Christians, they think the Bible is probably got lots of falsity in it or there is a lot of foolishness in it. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. We can just kind of pick and choose um, what we like. That's very deeply problematic. If you are a Christian and you approach the Bible with that kind of an attitude, then you're going to be in big trouble. (laughs) Uh, In a lot of different ways, you will stumble over, because do you have your own personal wisdom to know what in the Bible is the good parts and what isn't the good parts? Do you personally know what is the parts that you think that you should be in control of and not God should be in control of? The whole Bible is God's word and we need the whole Bible, not just kind of a book that's a dusty there that we get to control, but it's above us. It speaks over us. It has authority over us. It's God's way that he himself is revealed, he himself is seen and known. And that's what this, this, uh, this series is going to be about. And, and in, way, in some ways... You know, I'm not going to directly talk about the Bible today. I'm going to talk about something even more fundamental than that, which is really the question of transcendent truth, transcendent word. And so what do I mean by transcendent? 
Transcend means it's not just in this time and place. It's not just in my mind. It's not just in my culture or their culture. It transcends the whole world. It is a word and a truth that is above all of the world, even of history. And according to the scriptures, that word has come into the world. And the way we come to know that word, who is Jesus Christ, is through the Bible, which is the word which takes you to the word in, some, in a sense. Now, I want to talk about this. This is a profound need apart from the word which can really critique and shed light in all the falsity. Every culture, every time, every place has had some truth and lots of falsity. <laughs> lots of things that are wrong. How do you tell the difference unless there can be a pure word, a true word, a word above all other words? And this is what the scripture takes us to. This is what the scripture really, it is really the means by which it, that takes us to that word who is himself, as the passage says, God himself, right? So, in three parts today, part one, willful blindness and loss of the darkness, okay? That's the condition of human beings. We're not just in the darkness, we're willfully blind. We want to be in the darkness. It's one of the reasons why Christianity and the scriptures and the claims of scripture are so unpopular and controversial, and they'll always be. They will always be, okay? And so... Um, if you end up in a place where Christianity becomes ascendant and it's not controversial, that's great, but it's an outlier. And in history, it'll always be unpopular. And even in a so-called Christianized culture, it'll still be unpopular, right? Because the human condition is to be willfully blind and lost in the darkness. That's part one. Part two, the cost. There is a cost. Does it matter? Oh, it matters, okay? The cost of not having a transcendent word to give us real meaning, right? Part two, that's cause. And part three, the transcendent word came to dwell and be with us, to dwell among us. That's part three, okay? Let's get into it. Part one, all right. Let me start with a little story. Um, there's this really suave and good-looking man, and he has a, you know, really perfectly combed hair, and he's got just the right... He's the right age, and he has the exact right set of clothes, and he's got the right, you know, cologne. He just smells just right. And then he meets a young lady. You know, she's, she's a, of average good looks, right? She's not particularly very fetching, but she's not, you know, she's not, you wouldn't call her homely. And she's trying her best. She's got a dress. It fits her decently, but, you know, there's still little bumps in places and that she wishes would, you know, wouldn't show and so forth. And this man, you know, he comes up to her and he asks her out. And he takes her to dinner. And over dinner, he's very witty. And he asks questions and he gets to know her and he draws her out. And then she has this really great time and he tells her, I really like you, could, could we go out again? And then, so... He, you know, she says, yes, I would like to go out with you again. He's a really great gentleman. He doesn't do anything weird or he doesn't do anything sleazy. And he, he's such a gentleman, he, he doesn't even try to get a kiss before, you know, saying goodnight. He just, like, kisses her on the hand or something like this. Okay? And then, and then there's, he calls her. 
the next day, and then he sets up another date, and, and it's even better than the first day. And then, and then, um, and then he again says, I really like you even more than, than, than this, and then can we do this again? So then they go out a third time. All right? This is the experience of what has happened. The man is perfectly well behaved. He's got really good manicured fingers. His hair's combed right. It, it's even the right cologne. Oh, my goodness. She smells that smell, and somehow it just smells her of a smell that she's longed for her whole life, and she just goes, oh, gosh, this is just perfect. All right. That's the experience of what she has. And now she has a feeling, a feeling. It's actually more than a feeling. Um, you know, there's this thing called we call feelings, and it's just this thing you feel. But then there's this thing that's deeper than your feelings. We call it an intuition. And it's something that's not something that comes from a pure rationality, but it's like an idea or a thought that you can't, it's, you, don't, you can't be completely solidly true about, but it's an intuition that this is right. It, it's like a feeling, but more than a feeling. You know what I'm talking about, right? So it's called our intuition. So this woman starts to have an intuition. Maybe I think I'm starting to fall for him. And maybe he really is falling for me. And maybe he's the one. He's it. Okay? That's the experience. And from the experience, she has an intuition which is telling her messages. <laughs> messages are coming into her mind, and she's not sure about the messages. So then what does she do? You all know what she does. She calls up her, you know, her three best girlfriends. <laughs> and then she, she calls up her three best girlfriends, and she says, well, he did this. And then they start doing a total, like, you know, autopsy. <laughs> they analyze this thing to death. <laughs> all right? He said this, and then he did this, and then I acted like this, and then he acted like this, and oh, it's, it's it. Oh, they get all excited. Oh, it's it. This is it. Okay. Now, all this is the experience, and now she has the intuition, and now her three best friends, and she knows this one is like the smart one, this one's the practical one, and this one's the dreamer. This is the romantic one. She like, oh, she cries in every you know, romance movie. She's completely ridiculous, okay? But, uh, and then there's the one that's like super cynical, and she's like, mm, you know, she, she, she's like, raises up all her evidence. And then there's just the one that's like super practical. It's like, you know, no, you, you shouldn't worry about this. You should just be thinking about your, your, your career because, you know, you can't depend on a man because men are, you know, men are men, yeah, right? So she has all these different, you know, intuitions. Three, there's four different intuitions they're all processing this experience. Now, there's a real question. <laughs> Is this guy really the one? Now, let me give you two words. There's a word in our culture that signifies he's the one. That word is love. <laughs> there's another word which means he's not the one, and in fact, he's very bad. That word is lust. What is true of this situation? What is true? Do you know? Do you know? Do any of these four ladies know? <laughs> you know, this is really interesting. Even the guy, he might not know. <laughs> 
Isn't that interesting? He's so good looking, usually, and he knows how to say the right words. By the time he gets to the third date, he knows he can get her into the sack. Usually he's very, very successful at getting the woman into the sack by the third date. But he's looking for the one. <laughs> Maybe he himself doesn't even know whether what's happening now is the proper word is love or lust. And the reason I'm telling you this story, and by the way, there's no conclusion to this story, <laughs> because I'm just setting you up to let you know, this is a situation, and by the way, this is your whole life. Your whole life, there is going to be a suitor, and this is for you men too, something is going to try to come along and seduce you. It's going to try to come along and tell you that I'm your hope. I'm your savior. I'm your security. If you get me, everything will be fulfilled. I'm the one. What's the truth? And what, in our culture, the way we deal with it is through feelings and intuition. We think there's going to be an experience, and experience is the pure, final, final experience. And then we're going to go, you know, try, process this with our friends. And then, you know, some of them are the cynical ones. Some of them, well, I, want, I want the evidence. All this other kind of stuff like this, right? And then we think, my intuition is just, it's not going to fail me. Come on. <laughs> you, you know your intuition fails you. Do you think your other friends have a better intuition than you? <laughs> and our culture thinks that if we have the experience, that somehow when we meet the right truth, not just a boyfriend or a husband, but we're talking about the truth with the capital T. We're talking of the ultimate hope. When it arises, we'll recognize it, we'll know it, but that is complete nonsense. It's not true. It is not true. And you know how you get to figuring out what is the real? Word is more important than experience or intuition. I want to tell you this. Word is more important than experience or intuition. The word tells you the meaning, the meaning of what you are experiencing and what is going on, the deep meaning of it. And until you get to the meaning and the truth, we're just lost. And guess what? Now are you starting to feel like, oh my gosh, this is really difficult, Pastor, what you're saying, right? And now with this setup, now let me take you into the Bible. The, the, what, the, what this passage says is there's a word, and the word is the thing that tells you. That's what grounds you. That tells you what the real truth. Until you have word, the words tell you the truth. Until you can believe that word, and that word is actually, it's, it's really connected to the actual experience and reality. Reality is the thing that's real, not fantasy, right? And then you have to have words that describe the reality as reality. You know what this? That's truth. It's words. It's, and there has to be a word that is so foundational, so trustworthy, that when we're under this word, that all the words that we use that really are governed by this word, now we know we're in the truth. And this is just, and it, the way we get into this, and there's a word that comes from this book. And so 
I'm not going to make the full argument today, but over the course of these six weeks, well, I'm going to get you into a case as to why this book is not kind of trustworthy. It's not, it isn't just the evidence. It's absolutely trustworthy. Hmm. Absolutely trustworthy. Hmm. Now, here's what the passage says. In the beginning was the word, not a word. Not in the beginning was a bunch of words. It was the word. The word was with God. And here's the weird part. The word is God. The word is God. So it's like he's not God, but he's God. And he makes other claims. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, there was a word, and the word, this understanding, the meaning, made everything. So that means this, there's nothing in the world that is not touched by this word. Word can govern and make meaningful and right and can tell you this is right, this is wrong, this is true, this is false, this is light, this is darkness. The word governs everything, everything that is made. That's what it says. And it goes on and says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We've gotten five verses into this book. And by the way, this isn't just any book. This is the Gospel of John. It was written by the Apostle John who walked with Jesus. And when he writes and starts this book, in the beginning, he's echoing Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But he's going to say, hey, even, let me tell you even more than that. That's a fact. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is filled with meaning. But let me tell you something even more important than that. Even before five verses in, he's trying to tell everybody, you're in the darkness. We're in the darkness. We're, we're like bumping up. We don't get it. We're so in the darkness. But there is a way to go to light, and that is through the Word, and the Word who made everything, and the Word who came to the world. Now, let me make a couple more points before I go to the second portion of my message, right? One, the word here is, in the Greek, is logos. Logos is a weird word. It's a hard word to translate because the Greeks, the Greeks were a very interesting people. Most people just like to hang out with themselves and then just celebrate their own culture, not the Greeks. The Greeks were a, an adventurous people. There was something in their culture that sought adventure and that sought newness. And they would go around, and so they invented world trade. They sought and started learning about all these other different cultures and all these other different types of religions and worldviews and their sciences and their knowledge and their history. That's the Greeks. You want to know why Western education is the way it is. Do you know, not every culture cares about learning about all these other cultures. The reason why universities are the way they are is because we're built on the pattern of the Greeks. Up to this point in history, they were absolutely the most advanced culture that's ever been. And so they realized that there must be a meaningful word that shapes above all other things because they start to realize if you go in to look at every other culture, you have to have a standard above the cultures to be able to sift their culture and say, holy cow, this is really messed up. And they had a word, and that word is logos. And that word logos basically means the word above all words. It means something like the deep meaning and coherence of the truth. That's what logos means. And they thought you couldn't find it in the word. They, they knew there was something like this, a transcendent meaning. But they didn't think that any culture had it. 
But here, the Gospel of John says, actually, that's not true. We have it. And he came into the world. So I want you to say this. And the reason I'm presenting this for you is it's an unbelievable, unbelievable claim the Bible is making. And the most advanced culture up to the time, and, you know, you can say we're the most advanced culture, although we're going into the dark ages, <laughs> right? Uh, we need this word. Oh, my goodness, do we need this word. And they realize we need this word. So that's, that's what this verse is saying. Now, let me get into something else. Let me give you a quote from a book which I, uh, I just found out about. So I, I started doing a little bit of research and to do this series looking for resources, and I did not know this book existed until this week. And it was written by a very famous pastor, John Piper, and it's called A Peculiar Glory. And I've read the first couple chapters. And a peculiar glory means how the Christian scriptures reveal their complete truthfulness. How the Christian scriptures reveal their complete truthfulness. I haven't read the whole book yet, but the first couple chapters are really exciting. I think this is fantastic. Right? It could be, end up being his very best book yet. Okay. But let me give you a little quote. Here's a claim, and it's just from the Bible, but I think Piper says it very well. Why do we not want, if there is this special logos that could shed light on our darkness, how come people don't want it? I mean, we're not even talking about the non-Christians. The Christians don't even read the Bible very well. Right? I mean, we can admit that. That a lot of us are quite Bible ignorant and we don't, we're not even interested. And we, we have like, we're part of this, we're lazy. But I don't think it's, it's more than lazy. It's more than lazy. It's not just lazy. It's not just in, uh, lacking discipline. Here's what the Bible says, but here is how, how he puts it. He says, the Bible is liberating to know that the Bible can do this. It's incredibly liberating because that means... You don't have to have some super education to get it. But he also says it's also devastating. Hmm. And here's why it's devastating. Because no human being can see the glory, the truth of God, without God's help. Even when you read the Bible. This is not because we are helpless victims of blindness, but because we are lovers of blindness. You guess what John says? We're in the dark. John Piper, he's, he's, he's citing other portions of Scripture. No, I'm not, I, won't, I won't explicate all that. But we actually like it to be dark. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John chapter 3, verse 19. You guys know that very famous verse? For God so loved the world. That's three verses before this verse. <laughs> people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We are not chained in a dark cell longing to see the sunshine of God's glory, according to John Piper. We love the cell. This is what we do. We turn our life into a cell of darkness because sin and Satan has deceived us into seeing the drawings on the wall as the true glory and the source of greatest pleasure and even of truth. Our prison cell of darkness is not the bondage of external constraint, but of internal preference. Deep into our hearts, we actually prefer it to be dark. That's why we're lazy about the Bible. 
honestly. Not just you, even me. Yes, I'm the pastor. <laughs> I've worked hard to read the Bible. Sometimes I admit it's just work. And sometimes it's beautiful and glorious, but sometimes it's just work. But you know what? You have to, there has to be a fight. The fight, there's an internal preference for it to be dark. And let me say this. You know why our, our, your non-Christian friends, even your Christian friends, don't want to get into the Bible? Because if we actually get into the Bible and you really learn it, you will find that there is a word which is above all words, and that means we must wrestle with it. And it tells us things that we don't like, like we're messed up, we're foolish, we're blind, we're wicked. <laughs> we don't want to know those things. And it says other things. It insists that we change. And change is hard, and we don't want to do it. And you know why the world deep down, it's just not, oh, you know, if, if God were just show up and do something miraculous, then people would say, then I'll believe it's true. Let me tell you, it's false. <laughs> because God did show up. He did do the miraculous, and then they murdered him. And if he came today, we'd do the same thing. We would do exactly the same thing. We would mock him, except we'd mock him on the Internet. We'd mock him on TV. And all the popular people mock him. They already mock him, except so if he would just show up, they would mock him some more. And there'd be claims of his miraculousness, and we would mock those two, and we'd mock all the people who believe it. That's what we would do. And then there are words all about it, and we don't even go to it. Because deep down, we like it to be dark. And so today, our culture, of course, you know, now it gets into the culture. It becomes really, really not hip to believe there's this thing called an ultimate word of God. And the reason it's unpopular is because, it, because you can't avoid it. You can't deal with it. So it's better to just come up with a lie. There's a lie on the prison wall. It's not true. There's nobody above you. There's no truth. There's no God that you have to deal with. You know what? Now, now we can just be left to our experiences and our intuitions, and we can just go, ooh, you know, that seducer that comes along, the money seducer, the sex seducer, the status seducer, the I'll be just a practical, I'm not into those big things. I'm just a really, like, a practical person that just likes it to be, you know, I don't want to be too high, no, too low. Just that I'm into security. The security seducer can come along with his manicured nails and his perfect cologne, and all our intuitions will come up, and we're like, oh, this is it. This is the life for me. I'm glad your truth works for you but it doesn't work for me. Just that language itself is a lie. The language itself is a cowardly, selfish lie because to, if, if, if it's your truth versus my truth, let me tell you, there is no truth. <laughs> There's just your, let me put it this way. Next part, I'm just says, I'm glad your truth is working for you because my truth will work for, I'm just looking for truth for me. Let me tell you, those people are not looking for truth. Those people are looking for a lie. They're saying, I'm glad your lies work for you. I'll just choose my own lies with my own feelings and intuition until there is a word and that word is solid and we can depend on it with your whole life all of eternity every nation every whole nations and histories are at stake until we can have that we're just picking lies that's what we're doing okay 
Um, that's enough for part one. Let's go to part two. The cost. I won't, I'll, 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 let me hit these quickly. Each one of these could take a whole sermon, but um, let me try to hit, hit them quickly. I, there's a lot of costs, but let me just give you some examples. And very, very relevant examples. For us to say, you know, when, when people are saying, I, you, you can have your truth, I'll have my truth. Those people are completely closing themselves off. They're like locking the prison darkness from the inside. The people who think that, so if you're a person that thinks that, you have, those people have their truth and we have, I'll have my truth, that's, you're just going to be, it's going to be dark forever, okay? And you're locking it from the inside. Because the one possibility that is completely being left out is that there is actual truth and it's actually coming to the world and you can know it. And you can know it and you can change your life and you can be a part of it and it can bless you and bring out life just as the Bible says, it's in him was life, that is the possibility that we don't, nobody wants to believe. Why? Because we don't want to, it, it seems so nice to be able to say, well, that would be judgmental. Those people, well, you know, how, who could say they're wrong? <laughs> Let me tell you, the person who has the truth can say the person who doesn't have the truth is wrong. <laughs> you know, your math teacher, when they, they, they go to your, your algebra exam, this is wrong, <laughs> right? The person who has the truth can tell a person who doesn't have the truth this is wrong. And actually, when they don't do that, it's actually not kind. It's not loving at all. Because falsity hurts. Let me give you three ways that falsity can hurt. Very, very relevant. Number one, if you don't even know what's right and wrong, how can you know? And I'm not even talking about like morally right and wrong. Okay, let's just take something like if you don't know the right way to handle your money versus the wrong way to handle your money. So let's say you just have an intuition that, you know, I, I'll, I'll pull out this little piece of plastic and I'm going to swipe it and then I get cool things. Oh, wait a second, a little piece of paper shows up at the bottom of the month. Uh, you know what, I have a feeling that I don't have to deal with that piece of paper. <laughs> hey, nothing bad happened this month. Nothing bad happened next month. <laughs> nothing bad happened the month after that. We're not even talking about ultimate moral right and wrong, but if you don't know... <laughs> How to handle that little piece of plastic and that piece of paper that has numbers on it that shows up at the end of the month, then you'll wreck your life. And you'll wreck your wife's life, you'll wreck your children's life. Nope. And then people will, you know, you, won't, you mean over time, they won't, you, won't, you can't even get an apartment. You'll be homeless if you wreck it that bad. Because people will look at you like, oh, you're an idiot. Or you're a liar. Or you're a thief. Or all three. <laughs> I can't have you living in my apartment. No thanks. Bye. And you get rejected. Some people are starting to hire. You can't even get a job. They're going to start looking at your credit score, decide whether you're honest and trustworthy. So I'm not even talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about your credit score. <laughs> but the stakes are much higher than your credit score. And so right and wrong. Um, just to give you an example here, uh, our culture. Our culture thinks that it doesn't harm anybody if, if she wants to have sex and I want to have sex, or hey, if he wants to have sex and I want to have sex. It doesn't harm anybody. I do it, he does it, we have fun. It doesn't harm anybody. It, so you can't put that in the wrong category, and the people who say it in the wrong category, that's just judgmental. That's just judgmental. That's all uptight. That's just some kind of like traditionalistic idea, and it's just a backward and primitive idea. But if you believe that, guess what? There are consequences. 
And there are consequences like this. Um, fatherlessness. Because men who think, I can sleep with her, and then I can sleep with her, guess what? They tend to get divorced, or they tend to not get married, and then kids can come out, and then they don't have a dad. And then kids who don't have a dad, guess what? They tend to grow up poor. And then they tend to get abused by stepfathers or the boyfriends of their mom. This is a cost. And this is happening. This isn't a theory. This is happening. Of course, just that our, the powerful people in our culture, they never like to admit it. That they don't like to admit it, that they're harming and abusing children, and they're part of it. They're guilty of it. We're guilty of it. Everybody in our culture that says you can just have sex with whomever you want, we're guilty of sexual molestation. You get it? We're part of it. And it's not just in our culture. It's not just in our culture. It's not just in America. There's something called the sex trade. And kids are sold off into slavery. We had a missionary here a couple, week, couple weeks ago. In Thailand, poor people, well, they're saying, you know, deep down they know it's wrong, but they're poor. So then they have a child. They sell off their child into the sex trade because, hey, it sure is nice if it's not wrong and evil that you can just have sex with whom you want as long as it's consensual. It drives a sex trade. There's cost. And there's all kinds of other costs too. Sexual addiction. There is abortion, so people literally die. How about depression, anger? How about crime and poverty? Because fatherlessness drives poverty and it also drives crime. You want to know where the most dangerous neighborhoods are? Go into the most dangerous neighborhoods and then find out who has a daddy. Find out the percentage of people who has a faithful father. Right? Well, you take, you, you, take the, you take this, you take this, and then next thing you know, people are literally dying. And a drug trade is happening. So it has costs. And so the rich and powerful people in our society that want to believe in the lie of sexual so-called freedom, which is really sexual enslavement, it has a profound cost. But the Bible is very clear, and it warns us again and again and again, if you want to flourish, if you want your families to flourish, if you want men and women to flourish, there's a truth about it. See? Let's go to a second one. So we love this idea that the powerful, everybody has rights. And you can't just treat and push them. You can't bully people. Powerful people with one skin color shouldn't just be able to kill people with another skin color. The Nazis were evil people because they, they baked and cooked and gassed Jews, right? So we, we love this story, and we know it's true. It is true. You know how you know it's true? Not because we just feel it, because the Bible says it's true. But if you take the, this truth away, you know what happens in the world? If you take a word which can critique every culture and every powerful set of people, you know what starts to happen? The powerful people start to crush and start telling lies to the, those people who are weaker. The pretty people start telling, just, just, just the mean way we do it. The pretty girls tell the less pretty girls, you're nothing. And then you know what happens. The less pretty girls start to actually think, maybe I'm not much. Maybe I'm not much. This is called oppression. On a minor level, but it goes bigger and bigger. But you know who are all the people who really fight oppression and they will fight it to the death? They're the people who believe there's a word above all the lies. And where do they get it from? They got it from here. Who are the people that fought slavery? You know, 
that for centuries and centuries and centuries, everybody just accepted slavery. And all that just means is that powerful people get to use weaker people, sell them as property. But you know who said that's not true? There's something called human rights. Every single person is made in the image of God, and you can't sell them. You know who said that? The people who read it here. And they paid a great cost to push it back. And now we're just going right back to it. Right now, it's weird. We have the people who think everybody has rights, and then we, you know, then we push our people around. You know, bullying is rising in our culture. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, we have a horrendous politics because it's a politics of bullying, actually. Both the party on the left and the party on the right just bullies. And they just use money and power. It's bullying. But if you want to have a real fight against injustice and oppression, there must be a word that critiques the lies. There has to be. And a word that everybody believes. And they believe it so it's from God. It cannot be shaken. It's not just some thing that, so that, that, that the politicians told me or the pastor told me or the priest told me or the religious folks told me. No, it's from God. And we can die for this. It's worth it. And so, and the people, when this arises, guess what? Oppression gets pushed back. Let me have to offer you a third one. And this one I hope really, this is the one where, that I hope where it heads home. What is my purpose? How I know that if I fulfill my purpose, then my life will flourish and I will be fulfilled? That's, the, that's a question mark in our minds, right? Every single person I know has that question mark. Who or what, what word tells you what you were made for? But you, you, where can you find out what you were made for, how you can flourish and become whole and fulfilled? Where are you going to find that? And so, if it comes from God, it's from Him. But if it's not from God, guess what? You're going to pick it in, the, in your prison cell, and you're going to pick your lies. Guess what? So some other standard is going to tell it to you. The, 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 the seducer of the money, the money seducer, the security seducer, the success seducer. If you decide that this is how I'm going to be, have my life fulfilled, then guess what? You are on your own. Your word, you're living according to a word that's from you. So now, here's the cost. You must be your own savior. You must be your own Lord. You must be your own truth. You must be your own hope. And guess what? Guess what happens when you fail the word from you? When you're your own Lord telling you yourself, this is the word that you're going to live. This is your purpose. This is how you're going to have your life. This is your word. Love is going to fulfill me or money is going to fulfill me or getting into that perfect college with the, with the, with the perfect job is going to fulfill me. And when you, what, what that doesn't happen? You know what's going to happen? You, your own Lord is going to judge you. Your own Lord is going to tell you you suck. You're a bum. You failed. And you want to know why there's lots and lots of depression in America? Anger? There's like the two responses when your Lord tells you you failed is anger and depression and often both. <laughs> that is the cost. Unless that Lord is forgiving. 
unless that Lord helps. Unless that Lord will take the word and be a word which isn't far away. And that can take us into my final portion of message. See, the Bible tells you what the standards are and the truth are, but actually it tells you even something better. And it's right here in this passage. Verse 14, I actually made my kids memorize this verse. <laughs> we, we thought we, we're going we're gonna to do some Bible study this summer, and then, and then we get so busy, like, you know, see, even the pastor gets too busy to, like, trying to even teach his kids this. We petered out after two chapters, okay? But we memorized one verse. It was John 1, 14, and you, it's worth it. And the word, the word which is above all word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you need, we need truth, but actually we need more than truth. We need truth and grace. We need a truth that will come down and says, you're guilty, you're evil. You're trying to lock the prison from the inside, but instead this truth isn't just an idea it isn't just a concept. He's a person. And he's a person that will say, I'm going to break the locks. And I will turn on the light. And I will give you life. And you keep failing, but I will forgive you. You make yourself dirty, but I will wash you. And you hurt other people, but I will take the hurt that you deserve because you like being in the darkness rather than the light and because I love you by grace, I'll bring my light into your life. That's the word. Once you encounter the glory of that word, you taste the glory of that word, you see the glory of that word, and that glory of that word comes into your life and changes you, you'll begin to know this whole book has got to be true. How can that word do what it does unless this book is right? See, that's the pathway. And there's millions and millions of people around the world. It's a, it's a really weird time we're living in. The most advanced people who are like the Greeks are making themselves dark, try to erase this word out. But all the people who are not like the Greeks, the non-Western cultures, the non-Greek type cultures, they're discovering the word which came into the flesh. And light is streaming into Africa and into Asia into some dirt poor shanties all around the world, onto reservations. And you and I, we can have it too. Please don't trust all the, the clever people or, or your intuitions or your experience. There is a word that's worthy of your life. It's worthy of your death. Is the word that came in, made himself flesh, and his name is Jesus. And I hope that you will want to pursue him and learn more of him. And of the whole book, the whole book is about him. Which will help you know the deepest word which shines light and gives you life. Let's pray. Jesus, we, you shine. And yet, we put on blinders. You are shining through your scriptures. Your spirit begs us to go and meet you through the word which takes us to the word. The word made flesh. 
He wasn't a word that would just be transcendent above us. You would be the word not just transcendent above us and far above us where we would barely know you. You came to be near us. You came and gave us a word, the word which would shed light on all our experiences and redirect our feelings and intuitions so they would be based on you, based on life. And so we pray, Lord, I pray that people would listen to these messages. I pray they would listen to this message and all the other messages and they would share the relevant portions, maybe of five minutes here and ten minutes there. And they would say, hey, you should listen to this because I think this might help you. Or the next time they, a friend of theirs says, I'm glad you have your truth. I'm just going to find my truth. Maybe they can say, hey, you should listen to what my pastor said, <laughs> this five-minute portion, and help crack open the locks and your spirit would crack open the darkness and people would say maybe there's something in that Bible maybe it's possible that somebody actually has the real light the real truth and maybe it's in that church or this church and I pray Lord that we would take in the fullness of your light and we would have a deep reverence and a great celebration of your word. And we would drink in your word more deeply. And we would change and repent of our lives. And we would offer this light-giving, this life-giving word to others. So we pray that you would do this work throughout this series. Bless us to know you. Break down the locks and help us to live and bask in your light. We pray this in Jesus' name.